This is our last Sunday looking at the story of Jonah. We actually finished the book study last week, really powerful ending, left with that big question that God asked Jonah, should I not be concerned for that great city? Being in the city, in Worcester, God has used this in my own heart. Remember what we saw when God pointed out the 120,000 in that city. Don't know their left hand from their right. There was that big reveal about Jonah's heart that he did not see the city the way God saw the city. He wanted judgment because he saw the city as an enemy. God saw the city as people. Jonah sees them as evil. God sees them as lost. Don't know their right hand from their left. We need to adapt that model for the people around us. It's so easy to get mad at our culture. It's so easy to get mad at people when they do things on the road or in your life that inconvenience you or harm you. They're living in ways that we see as dishonoring to God. God sees all of them as human beings created in His image who He loves and wants to reach. And before we get too judgmental of Jonah, we need to look at our own hearts and realize just how judgmental we can be. God wants us to reach out with a message of hope and grace. And it is a Christmas story. Jonah was a Grinch, if you think about it. The Grinch stayed up looking down over the village, and he despised it. Why? Because he had a heart that was what? Two sizes too small. And then that big moment when he hears the singing, after all that he'd done to ruin the Christmas, he hears the singing and his heart explodes. I think that's what God wants to have happen for Jonah. He wanted his heart to expand for the lost all around him. And that's the message for us. Today, we're going to back up now and take a look at Jonah in the context of the big story of the Bible. Even though it was written by so many different authors and so many different seasons, over 1,500 years, three different languages, it's a book with one primary story and one hero, and that hero is Jesus Christ. I want to start by uh, looking at Luke chapter 24, the story of the two followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They had seen him crucified, they had heard rumors of his resurrection, and Jesus meets them on the road, but doesn't reveal himself. And they tell him about all the different events, and they're confused by him. And Jesus says, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And then it says this, let's say this together. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. And this is a very important principle of biblical interpretation. When we come to the Bible, we need to learn to look at the Old Testament the way Christ did. He says, beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, and then through all the prophets. Who does that include that we just studied? Jonah. Jesus revealed all the things that was about him. Jesus is on every page of Scripture. So the question we want to ask is, what do we learn or see about Jesus in the story of Jonah? And the great thing is that Jesus helps us with that. We're going to be in two passages today in the New Testament. The first is Matthew chapter 12. And I invite you to turn there with me. 
Matthew chapter 12. We're going to begin reading at verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. And the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. Powerful statements. And we see a very important way that Jonah plays into the foreshadowing of the Old Testament of who Jesus is. Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days. The Son of Man, Jesus speaking of himself, will be in the heart of the earth. Jesus speaking about his impending death, burial, and then also his resurrection. But I just want to work through this and draw out three things. And the first is not quite related to our question about Jonah and Jesus, but it's a good opportunity to teach a little bit. And that's the issue of seeking miraculous signs. This group of people were saying to him, show us the sign, prove to us that you are who you claim to be. Now I wanna be careful in how I interpret this to not suggest that Jesus did not give miraculous signs, he did. John wrote his gospel around significant signs to prove that Jesus was who he claimed to be that he was the Messiah, the promised one that all the prophets foretold. And when we look back through the Old Testament scripture, we see that Jesus did indeed fulfill more than 300 prophecies. Miraculous evidence that he was who he claimed to be. He claimed to be the Christ. He claimed to be the savior of the world, the one who would bring men back to God, the reconciler. And he claimed to be God in human flesh, as we sang, Emmanuel. The miraculous signs that are recorded in Scripture are intended to help us understand that Jesus was indeed who he claimed to be. But there is a limit to that. Jesus says an evil and perverse generation looks for miraculous signs. So in other words, the constant requirement that Jesus or God proves himself by doing the miraculous in our lives reveals in some way our rebellion and our lack of faith. I think it's important that we address that a little bit because across Christianity in the United States, there is a resurgence on people seeking after miraculous signs and wonders. Now, I believe God works supernaturally. That's not my point. The point here is, what is the basis for my trust in Christ? And if I'm requiring that I witness the supernatural, Jesus says that's more an evidence of your lack of faith than of who I am. It's a word of caution to us. When we start emphasizing so much the miraculous signs and wonders, we have to ask ourselves, where's that coming from? Why do we need that? And is it truly authentic? These stories sound wonderful from a distance of a thousand miles or a hundred years. I want to make it very clear, I believe God does the miraculous. I've seen God do the miraculous. 
but I don't believe based on God proving himself. That's what Jesus is speaking about here. But he also points to Scripture as a sign. One of the reasons why Jesus points to the Pharisees' lack of belief is because they're not believing him when he points to the fulfillment of Scripture. And he's saying to them, the Ninevites will hold you in judgment because they believed a mortal man who had a heart that was two sizes too small. The one with you is greater than he is, and you're not believing him. Instead, you're asking me to perform parlor tricks. And he says, the queen of Sheba will rise up and also judge this generation because she came from far away to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And there's one standing before you whose wisdom is infinitely more. That word greater in the Greek is above or ultimate. So what Jesus is saying is that Solomon, Jonah, were foreshadowings in the Old Testament of Christ who is ultimate. He is the truth that is seen through the Old Testament story, the Old Testament characters. Now, let me just get back a little bit to this idea of miraculous signs. I think seeking constantly miraculous signs in order to boost my faith is also a sign of spiritual laziness. Because we're not willing to study to show ourselves approved unto God as workmen that needeth not to be ashamed. The Bible says a person of great faith that God can use is a person who devoutly masters the word of God. You want a great faith? Do the work. You want a great faith? Get into scripture from the Old Testament to the New and you will be a bold, faithful workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Let's do the work. That's what Jesus is essentially saying to the Pharisees too. Do the work. But instead you're You want parlor tricks, spiritual laziness. And then he goes on and he points to the one sign that Jesus ultimately gives about who he is. The sign of Jonah. Jesus said that Jonah foreshadowed his death, burial, and resurrection. In the big picture, Jonah is a glimpse of Christ. Now, I want to take a minute and show you more details about that by taking you to Mark chapter 4. We're going to read the story of Jesus in a great storm. Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He turned to his disciples and said, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Now, you understand that we're reading an English translation. It's a good one. But no matter what translation you ultimately choose, you're not reading the original language. And you may lose some of the significance that the language itself would reveal. And it happens in this story 
Many theologians and linguistic scholars believe that Mark is intentionally structuring the telling of this story of Jesus and his disciples in a great storm to parallel the story of Jonah. So I thought it would be interesting to take you through that and show you what it looks like. Both Jonah and Jesus are in a boat. Both boats are overtaken by a great storm. Both Jonah and Jesus are asleep in the boat. Both are awakened by the sailors who say, we're going to die. In both stories, there is a miraculous calming of the storm. And then in both stories, after the storm is calmed, we observe even greater fear and reverence in the sailors. In Jonah's story, it says they were full of reverential fear of God and they all sacrificed to Jonah's God. And when Jesus said, why are you so afraid? It was after the storm had passed. What was it that they're in awe and wonder and somewhat terrified about? It was the man who had just calmed the storm. They said in fear, who is this man that we're with? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, when you step back from just this incident at the storm and take the whole story of Jonah against the whole story of Jesus, in both stories, there needed to be a sacrifice in order to save those who would perish. Jonah gives his life so that those on the ship could be saved. Jesus, who is greater, who is the ultimate, he sacrificed himself for the entire human race so that we would not perish. In both stories, the primary character is in Sheol for three days. You know, many scholars suggest that because Jesus alludes to Jonah's experience in the belly of the great fish for three days as what would happen to him in dying, many suggest, and I think it's certainly plausible, that Jonah actually died in that great fish. That would actually make some sense as to how it could happen. And then he was raised again. God can raise. Jesus raised people from the dead. Lazarus being the ultimate resurrection because he had been in the grave for so long that he stunketh. I'm guessing Jonah stunketh too after three days in the great fish. So Jonah is a foreshadowing of Christ. I, I think that's amazing to look at it that way. And it ought to grow your faith. So many stories in the Old Testament point to and clearly reveal Jesus. It's a very powerful thing. There's actually more of Jonah that can be seen. If you look, for instance, at the life of Peter, this is a little bonus because we have some time. When Peter, who was Simon at the time, was the first to profess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Remember that moment? They had traveled with him for a season. They had watched him. They had listened to him. And there was a moment where Jesus first asked, who do the crowd say that I am? And they passed on their opinions. Prophets come back from the dead, John the Baptist, others. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, what about you? This is the moment that the writer of the gospel is building towards. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Do any of you remember how Jesus refers to Simon at that moment? He says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. You know what Bar-Jonah means? Son of Jonah. Now, it happens that Peter's father actually was named Jonah. But there's some interesting parallels to Jonah and Peter's life. Jonah was the only prophet in the whole Old Testament that came from Galilee. Peter came from Galilee. His father came from Galilee. We, in Jonah's story, come to the city of Joppa. What happened in Joppa in Peter's life? Who knows? Yes. It's where he is waiting and he sees the great vision with the sheet that comes down filled with meat that was unclean. And God instructed him to eat that meat. Peter had never broken the Levitical law. And he said, no, I won't. It's unclean. And Jesus said to him, don't ever call unclean what I have declared clean. And at that moment, the messengers come and Gentiles, who the God has appeared to, are desirous of learning about Jesus. And had it not been for that moment, Peter, whose heart was two sizes too small for the Gentiles, would never have become the voice as Jonah was in his day to the Gentiles. Peter becomes the voice of the gospel, the Christ who is the son of the living God to the Gentiles. Jonah is used by God to bring redemption and forgiveness to the most powerful city in the world of his day. Where does Peter end up? In Rome. You see, I love these things. Now picture again Jesus on the road to Emmaus, not performing miraculous signs and wonders, unfolding the miraculous and wondrous word of God and pointing from the very beginning how the story was all about him. I want you to know, if you really want to find Christ, you will find him on every page in the book. You will find him in the word of God. Your faith will grow if you're in the word because you'll recognize the story is all about him. And thank God Jonah is that too. He reminds us that God so loved the world that he became Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus entered into our storm, the storm of humanity. He entered into this world that was a mess because of sin. That storm that was threatening that all of us would be lost. And he said, if I die, you can be saved. And he died. And he was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. But he didn't stay dead. He was raised again, and that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 can remind us that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, and because of that, our faith is not in vain. When we die, we are not lost. We are not still in our sins, because Christ is risen. So right now you're thinking, Tom, this sounds an awful lot like an Easter message, not a Christmas message. Well, you don't understand the Christmas message then. (laughs) Because the only reason God took on skin, God incarnate, was for the cross. To be the one in the storm of our lostness who would sacrifice himself so that we would and then would rise again from the dead. That's 
Christmas. <laughs> That's Christmas. Flash forward to Jesus now, having been raised from the dead. He had appeared to most of the 11, I guess, at this point. He had appeared to 10 of them and tried to convince Thomas that Jesus had indeed been raised from the dead. And uh, he said, no, no. Unless I see with my own eyes the wounds and touch them with my own hands, I will not believe. And then Jesus appears to him. And when he gets the miraculous sign and wonder, Peter says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said something very important here. Now, there were about 500 or so who saw Jesus alive. But there were many, many more who came to faith in him because of the message of the gospel. By the thousands they came to him. And I think this little moment with Thomas was Jesus breaking, what do you call it when, a, when an actor looks at the camera? Breaking the fourth wall of scripture. <laughs> I think that was Jesus looking out into the future, you and me. Saying, Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. But I say, blessed are all those who have not seen and yet believe. What's the word blessed mean? Happy, fulfilled, full of joy. That's my hope for you this season. That as you explore how beautifully the Old Testament points to Christ, you'll recognize as Thomas did, he is your Lord, he is your Christ and you will be blessed because of that faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this season that reminds us that you came, but we thank you for your word. It is the miraculous word of God speaking truth to us and on every page pointing to Christ. We thank you, Father. And by faith, we choose to be among the blessed who declare with Thomas, my Lord and my God, who declare with Simon Barjona, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in declaring that, find the great gift of eternal life in Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.